This is the Ed Milet Show. Welcome back to Max Out, everybody. Today's awesome. I just reached out to this man. I said, hey, brother, I think the world needs a little bit more of Dean and Ed. And uh, everywhere I go, people bring up the time that we've spent together on our other show as one of their favorite, if not their favorite show that I've ever done. And this man here is a friend of mine. But beyond that, I just want you to know, he's an incredibly financially successful person. We were just talking about some of the great things happening in his life off camera. Um, I think he's one of the most articulate and brilliant people in all of the entrepreneur, life strategy, personal development space. And he approaches it in a way that's different than everybody else. There's a kindness that exudes out of this man, a gentleness, yet strength that no one else has. He's also somebody that many of the other people in the space go to for personal advice and for counsel. He's just a good man. He's a great husband. He's a wonderful father. And I count him as a friend and, and somebody that I admire greatly. So Dean Graziosi, thank you for being here today, brother. Uh, thank you for that beautiful introduction. I feel the same way about you, Ed. We we met each other a little bit before the podcast, and it was like yeah. we were bonded brothers forever after that. And it was a great show, and I still get hit up on a regular basis. I know you do. There was something magical about that show because we yeah. get hit up all the time about it. So it's good to be here with you. What's magical, too, is when you and I get together. It's just too infrequent. But if there's a dinner or a conversation, usually if there's a bunch of people at the table, Dean and I are usually seated together. And taking up everybody's time with our conversations between yeah. one another. So what I wanted to do today, everybody, today is about really a bunch of things. I want today to mainly be about success and happiness, if I could distill it down. And I wanted you to listen in on things I'd like to ask Dean about. And so she's going to talk about all kinds of different things. But I want to start out, man. I, you know, right now in the world, there's all these different circumstances. And Dean has no idea what I'm asking him today, just so you all true know. Story. True and story. True story. Usually you have some idea. There's a book out. <laughs> Dean's this prolific author and speaker. And so usually it's about something like that. Today is just like, I want him to help people. And I'll kick in a little bit, too. So why do you think more people aren't happier? Wow. And that's is, I know. And what is a blueprint for happiness in your mind? Yeah, Two really good questions, you know, and, and what makes that easy? First off, I, I want to say it again, Ed, um, and I know your listeners feel this way, but thank you for all you do for the world, man. You, you said some really kind things about me, and I feel that same way about you. There's some people who want to do it for just the significance or just the exposure, and I know where your heart is. Your heart is to serve, and that's why people are attracted to you. That's why your followers love and adore you, because you're really doing it for the right reasons. So I, you, I'm just, it's an honor to be your friend, and I, I love all you're doing. You know, here's what I, I believe, Ed, when it comes to happiness and why it's easy for me to talk about this is because like you, I have a, a, I have a 14 year old, a 12 year old, and I have a little 18 month old, right? So I have these conversations with my kids a lot about happiness and what, what's the difference between fulfillment and success or lots of money and happiness, right? Because we both know, and I'm not going to say anything that's new to anybody listening, Success and money without fulfillment and happiness is the most shallow place you could ever live on this earth, right? And I share with my kids that nothing, I believe happiness comes from stretching ourselves. Now there's a million answers I can give, but if we're not stretching and we're not growing, I mean, Ed, how many families do you know that, uh, or people that you know that are trust fund kids, and I don't mean that in a bad way, my kids are gonna end up doing something with what I do, but have everything they want, but aren't happy at all, yes. right? It's like, 
you hear so many times a trust fund child will do too many drugs or not happy or multiple relationships because I don't think they're stretching themselves. They're not finding a way to be hungry for something. And I think we all have to be hungry for what's next. You hear a million times if you're not climbing, you're sliding. If you're not growing, you're dying. But it's not just words. Like as two friends talking, I know that I get to appreciate and love life so much. Of course, you want to be passionate about what you do. You want to have, you want to look into a bigger future. You want a compelling future. But the fact of the matter is our growth comes from stretching, mm. conquering our fears, right? I, I, we all know that our next level lives on the other side of the thing we fear the most. And I think when you take on things that are fearful, you, you move forward courageously, even though you're scared to death. Courage isn't a, a lack of fear. Courage is you're moving forward because you're afraid anyway. And during that journey, during that taking that courageous action, during the failure, during the time when your friends and family think you're a nut job or you should be happy with what you have or that job that you have is, is you should just stay there because that's what the norm wants. When you step outside of that, when you fail a little, when you stretch yourself, it's those moments that you stop and turn around and realize that you took uncomfortable action. You moved forward when there was no sign of evolving as, as a man, as a woman, as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a leader. And I think at this phase of my life, I, I see that all the uncomfortableness that allowed me to get here was actually the thing that built my character. Yeah, yeah, me too. What if you've what if you've done a lot of that, like you have, like I have? So there's also people listening to go, hey, man, I've done a lot of that. And you know what? I'm not sure what the next thing is for me. You know, um, th th there's there's been a lot of stretching in my life, but now I'm at this stage where I have achieved a level of comfort. See, I think that stretching thing sometimes is easier. It's almost like the guy trying to become the heavyweight champion of the world. It's one thing to get there, right? How hungry you are to get there. So that being said, you know, that I find that to be true as well. But what if someone says to you, hey, listen, I want to stretch. I want to grow, but I'm not sure. I get to ask this one the most from people. I'm not sure what I'm passionate about anymore. I get asked from two types of people, Dean. One, someone who's achieved. They go, look, I built my company. I sold it. Or I got my dream relationship. I'm in it. Or I never thought I'd be a millionaire. Now I am. So I get it from that group. We're like, okay, what do I stretch to next? And then I also get it from the vast majority of people are like, you know what? I've finally has occurred to me. I've got to grow. I've got to stretch. Yeah, yeah. I've got to go for something in my life. I just don't know what my purpose or my passion is. What would you say to those people who are asking that question? Yeah, really good question. Here's what I think. You got to hear this. Most everybody listening right now, you've already surpassed the goals or dreams that you had for yourself when you were a kid. Even if you're not as far along as you think you would have been, I guarantee if you went back to your 17-year-old self and shared where you are, the things you've accomplished, the things you've done, the places you travel, the success you have, you're like, oh my God, we did all that. So the, when I say stretch, it doesn't mean that you haven't already done it. Or you've done it a million times. But here's the thing, when you stretch, when you get to a point where you think you've arrived or your brain thinks we've got here, I think that's the part where people get lost because it's like, what's, what's my purpose? Why am I here? What to do next? And, and I look at it, I have simple, simple analogies. Ed. You grew up in the East Coast, so did I. And a lot of people don't know about lighthouses, light towers out in the middle of the water, especially off of Massachusetts, right? I picture, what, what was a lighthouse for? Right, that was either to guide the ships to stay away from a certain area or to bring the ships in when it was foggy and the ships were out catching fish and you'd see a light tower and you know the man that's in the light tower and it's there for a purpose, it was a guide. Well, I have a, I have a light tower in my head and what I say is for me, that is my compelling future. 
Like my light tower, what am I driving for? Why do I still get up? Why do I still wake up at 5.30? I don't have to work anymore. I feel blessed that to say that from where I came from means a lot. It's not being braggadocious, it's like, I could quit, but what would be left? What, like I, I, we grow, we find happiness and joy under, under that stretching, right? To, if we're gonna use that as our model. But think about this. If you've already reached your lighthouse, if it was out in front of you and you got the relationship, you found the money, you got the job, you built the career, you, you raised amazing children, you're standing right next to your lighthouse. You're there and you don't know what to do. What I always think about on a regular basis, I know I'm using a simple analogy, is you right. gotta take the lighthouse and you got to carry and put it a hundred yards in front of you at all times in life mm-hmm. because you need to be going towards that you got to be working to get there now here's the thing what you have to realize is your goals and and I know I'm telling you stuff a lot of times you already know I want to be a reminder service today mm-hmm. but the goals you had in your 20 what's 20s what success meant for you was completely different in your 30s and what goals and what desires you had in your 30s are different than 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s so we have to recalculate what success means to us we have to throw away what doesn't serve us anymore recalculate what success is attach it to that lighthouse and put it out a hundred yards and fight for it like you fought for your first hundred grand fight for it like you fought for your first relationship and I've just found away personally and I know you have in your own way Ed is I fight to get to that lighthouse like I'm broke like I'm in a bad relationship like my kids are all hosed up like I do I don't look at I'm a good dad I look at it like if I don't become a better dad tomorrow are my kids gonna live fulfilled lives I look at it as I have the most amazing relationship I know you Ed you and I have had those conversations I don't have an Instagram marriage I'm in love with my wife I fall in love with her more every day I'd rather get shot in the head than be unfaithful to my wife she's my everything but if I just keep her as the lighthouse right next to me I will take it for granted I won't keep that spark when I walk in a room my wife looks at me like I'm the hottest guy on the planet that she's not seen a man in 10 years still to this day I get chills as I'm telling you I walk in a room my wife makes me feel so amazing guys if you've never felt that work hard for it it's like I'm candy to her I don't even know why sometimes like babe you're so beautiful what but I love it so much that I don't take it for granted. I stick it out. That relationship, I put it 100 yards out and every day I'm fighting to be a better man. How do I listen more? How do I live into her heart? How do I support her as a mom or support in the business that she has? But I do that with business too. If I've accomplished this, and I wanna tell you, in my 20s, I ran away from a really, we have similar backgrounds. I didn't have money. My mom worked three jobs to make we, I, I lived in a bathroom for a while with my dad. I was running away from, a, from pain. I was disturbed with inaction. I was disturbed the way my parents lived and I ran away from that. I'm not running away from pain anymore. I'm financially, I'm fine, so why do I still get up and fight? Because now I've taken that lighthouse, and for me personally, is I wanna serve people at the highest level. I wanna contribute to this earth. I wanna help people that might be, just need a hand up, not a handout. I wanna partner with great people and be friends, Ed and, and Tony Robbins and, and great people like that to really impact the world. I'll probably give most of my money to charity. So I'm not fighting for another dollar, but I've moved the lighthouse in my head. I'm like, how do I help them impact 100 million lives? And I fight for it like it's not gonna happen. So that might be a crazy analogy, but I move the lighthouse to be a better dad. I move the lighthouse to be a better husband. And I wake up every day like, damn, I got a lot of ground to make up. That lighthouse is freaking two miles out. It's uh, it's one of the best analogies I've ever heard, and I've never heard it before, and I've been around this a long time, so it's it's incredible. And by the way, it's also true. 
Like that is what you do. I know this personally from you. Also, if people hadn't didn't hear the first show, you know, Dean did grow up in a really difficult environment, kind of a dad like I had for a while there where it just it was rough. Right. But also Dean's changed. So this Dean you see hasn't been the Dean that's always been here. And I think that's important, especially when you said about the relationship part. I want you to share something here. You shared it on my first show. Dean was in another relationship that just at some point wasn't a very good one. And you've acknowledged that in that relationship, not every, all your behavior was perfect, right? And this man that shows up here for Lisa is a very different guy story. than the one who showed up then. And I think one of the reasons that I admire, first off, you are proof people can change. You are proof that anyone listening to this who's got a behavior they're ashamed of, that that doesn't define who you are forever. I'm telling you that Dean is one of the finest husbands and fathers that I know. I've been around him personally. This is not podcast talk. And he wasn't the other time around. He'll acknowledge this. But you know what you didn't do? I want you to speak to this, Dean, if you could. How did that change? But what you didn't do that is so admirable, especially in a relationship that doesn't work, is you didn't blame her. You didn't blame the relationship. And I think a lot of people have to drop, tell me if you agree, blaming someone else or some other circumstance as some excuse not to make the changes they must make to change their life. Thank you. I appreciate I love these questions and I had no idea where you're going, but I want to tell you one, and I want to share this with everyone. One of the most liberating things of my entire life is to take, I know you've heard everything I'm sharing, you've heard, I get it, but maybe hear it through a different lens today. I think a lot of this they have not heard, I'm telling you. Heard through through a different lens. The most liberating thing in my life is when I took total responsibility for everything, for my success in my business, but my failures, success in my marriage, failure in a marriage, right? I, I did go through a divorce and I never wanted to, but there were mistakes made and I modeled habits of my father. And, and here's what I know, is when you blame others, you never give yourself the opportunity to mature and grow. Because if I would have brought the same man to this relationship with Lisa, I would have the same outcome with Lisa as I did with a previous marriage. And here's what I know is I knew I couldn't bring me. I had to bring a next level version of me. So when I went through a divorce and it was truly painful, it brought up childhood memories. I mean, I I had anxiety attacks for the first time in my entire life. And I I had to go back and do therapy where I had to go hug my six-year-old self when he was scared about mom and dad fighting so crazy and breaking windows and burning like crazy stuff. I had to go work on that kid. And I realized that in my first marriage, I looked at it through the lens of kind of like my dad did. If it worked, great. If it didn't, I'll go do my own thing. If you don't have a connection here, I'll find a connection someplace else. Here's the part where I want, I'll share this, especially because it's, it's Ed, is I tried to live a congruent life. I was congruent in every area of my life, but I wasn't in my relationship. Because I was unhappy, I, listen, let's just say it like it is. The things you do when no one's watching is really who you are. You're not who you are in front of your friends. You're not who you are in front of your parents or your children or who you are at church or who you are at the country club when you're having a couple scotches or who you are at the nightclub when you let your hair down and go wild. None of those are who we are. We put on a different persona for each one of those situations. Really who we are is when no one's watching. What are our habits? What are our decisions? What are the things that we do? It's like someone saying they want to start a business. They tell everybody they want to start a business, but when no one's watching, they're binging out on Netflix complaining about rich people, right? Or saying they want a good relationship, 
but when no one's watching, you're on the phone texting someone you met two years ago or five years ago, right? And my congruency in my relationship wasn't there. And there's a million reasons for it. it. Could be her, could be me, could be us. We ended up being great friends and she's still a dear friend and we, we have the best relationship and co-parents on the planet, and co-parent, amazing. But when, I, when that relationship ended, Ed, I had to look in the mirror and say, if I bring this guy, doesn't matter if I meet the perfect woman who's beautiful inside and out, if I bring this guy, I'm six months, six days, six years away from the same crap happening again. And I had to really evaluate the man I was. And I took, again, if once you take complete ownership, and, and I could digress a million ways, but I really feel the world has evolved, Ed, where we're pointing fingers, it's the president. No, it's the previous president. No, it's the current president. No, it's the liberals. No, it's the conservative. It's the Democrats. It's, it's, it's the foreign agents. It's China. There's a million things it could be. I don't know, and I'm not giving judgment, other than we can always point the finger but I've never grown as much I think all of us can agree until you point the finger at the guy in the mirror and before I met my wife instead of trying to meet the perfect woman I was just trying to figure out how I could be a better human and when that happened when I decided that in every area of my life and I am far from perfect just like there's none of us perfect but what I decided and said is I want to be a man that if my children found a way to have a private secret video on me 24 hours a day and they could watch that when they're older when i'm dead and gone and they go wow they could either go wow he was a good dad but when no one was watching my dad oh my god you believe he did that and he did that i would love for my kids to watch that video and go wow dad was the same whether people were watching or not and when i took that to my heart i want you to hear that like think about that Think about if your kids could see a video of you when no one's watching. And maybe that's not what you want, but that was my desire because I wanted real love in my life or none. I, when I went through a divorce, Ed, I was either like, I'm going to be the best version of me and I'm going to attract that other half or I'm going to be a kick-ass single dad for the next 30 years. That's, that's the way I looked at it. And I have to tell you, I brought a better version of me or I created a better version and I attracted the love of my life. And we've been together years, four or five years now, and it literally grows better, stronger every single day. And again, I keep moving that lighthouse to say, how can I light this woman up more? How can I make her more attracted to me? How can I make it so our intimacy is off the chart? How, how can I surprise her how can I make you know Tony Robbins I love when he used to say if you treated the end of a relationship like the beginning there'd be no end right I love that saying so So for me my lighthouse in my relationship is how do I treat this like I met this hot beautiful amazing successful woman three weeks ago and I'm trying to impress her you know what I got to say something to you on that too I met Lisa uh, several years ago and Lisa was already a very beautiful very confident woman but I must tell you, I noticed the last time we were together, and by the way, tremendous amount of confidence. She's beautiful, smart, successful, by the way, in her business already. But one of the byproducts of doing what you do in your relationship is the next time I was around her, I was struck by even how much more confidence she was, how much more present she had because of the way that you treat her. And I've noticed this in you too. There's a piece to you that I've seen grow over the last few years that you had peace when I met you because you were in the relationship, but it was newer. I've watched your peace and confidence grow, but I was also struck by hers. And that's one of the things, that's one of the ancillary gifts that happens when you're so intentional in a relationship like Dean and Lisa both are. You know, the other thing, brother, I was thinking about for you too, is that some of you are listening to this, like, by the way, the video thing you said was brilliant about, and, and I relate because when my dad passed last year, 
that occurred to me. Wow, dad's now watching everything I'm doing. Would he be proud yeah. of everything I'm doing? And it just raised my standard, right? So it's not my kid's video, it's my dad's, but it's the same principle of if he yep. was watching this video of yesterday, how proud would he be of his son, right? How many things yeah. in that day would I wish my dad didn't see or that I said, or even that I thought in some cases that I could do think better. But one thing that's a lot of people are listening to this and they know they've got that thing. They're not working out like they should. Maybe they are in that text thing. Maybe it's that they don't eat the way they should. They don't make the contacts they should. They're not up as early. They got a thing, but they're winning in spite of it, right? In spite of it, they've got some winning going on because in spite of the fact for many years, Dean, that you weren't as congruent as you wanted to be, you were still producing financial success. Massively. Massively. But what's happened the last four or five years is your life has become a freaking rocket ship in terms of influence. You guys, Dean's been famous a long time. You go back to all the infomercial days. If you're if you've not seen Dean or you hear this voice, it's because Dean was all over television forever. Very successful in that space and the influence space, the real estate space, as he was not congruent in every area of his life. But man, the last four or five years. So speak to that. If you can solve that thing you got. It's like a football team who's got no running game. Man, if they could just run the football, they've already got a good passing game. Their defense is good. They're a playoff team already, but if they could run the football, they're going to win the Super Bowl. There's always that thing, right? True or false? So, okay. And I love this question, man. I love hanging out with you, man. And and thank you for everybody listening. I know you have lots of options. So thanks for hanging out with two friends talking about stuff where I had no idea what we were talking about. So this is really cool. Um, Here's what I know. What happens sometimes, I'll tell you what I did for a decade. If we're gonna talk about relationships, I'll be completely transparent. I thought about leaving my relationship every day of my life for five years. It was almost the first thing I thought about every day, not because she's a bad human in any way. There were just, it just wasn't the right fit. I'm not an advocate of divorce, but it just didn't fit. But here's what I did for years. I was financially successful. At the time, I thought I was the best dad possible, even though I wasn't showing them the best example, but I thought, I'm an engaged father. I coach Little League, coach softball. I'm there, I bring them to school, make them lunches, love them to death. I'm a great leader to my team. I'm a good friend to people who need me. So my relationship's off and I'm not congruent. I should be freaking fortunate. So who gets it all? This is what I remember, who? Oh, you want it all, Dean. You want love and congruency and a good dad and financially free. And I remember just thinking, Stop being greedy if your relationship doesn't work. But really what I was doing, Ed, is I wasn't facing something because it was scary to me. It was scary leaving my kids and not thinking, thinking and not being with my kids every single day was like a shot in the gut. And I just ignored it and avoided it and it grew. It grew to where I didn't become the man that I was supposed to be. I, listen, whatever you believe in, God, the universe, I believe in God and I believe God has created you to be bigger, better, and stronger than you currently are. No matter where you are in your life, God wants you to be the woman you were meant to be, the man you were meant to be. And, and if you believe in karma, whatever your beliefs are, you are meant to be more. And when you let one of those areas build, it doesn't go away. I don't care how much I try to push it down on the inside, it just kept growing. And you feel that, you, like you're looking away from it even though it's there. And I, I want you to think about this. When you have to, some things are difficult, you might have to face a, a change of a business, a change of a business partner, change of a job, change in a relationship. The thing that you've been avoiding is growing, even though you think it's not. Wow. And it's like, 
got roots and the roots are creeping over into all areas of your life and you don't know and you're working harder stronger faster to overcome this and you think you're conquering it if you're in a relationship that's not good and maybe you go to the strip club or you text on your phone or you do something and you think you're fulfilling it you're not you're just letting the roots grow in deeper and stronger and you're working twice as hard to be successful and you don't even realize it and, and here's the way I looked at it when I decided or we decided to get a divorce and you can use this analogy you could tell I got some silly analogies you can use this in any area of your life. Picture your ship is in a, in, a, in a bay. It's calm. The water's calm. There's other great ships in the bay. The weather's kind of beautiful. It's kind of nice. But you know you're not meant to be in that bay. But man, it just has all the signs where you're supposed to be there. But the only way out of that bay is you got to sail your ship through the storm that's out in the ocean and you're watching the storm and you're watching how turbulent it is. You're, you're in the bay and it's comfortable, but the only way to your next level, the only way to break through, the only way to get rid of those roots, to, to kind of crush that thing that you're avoiding or afraid of, is you gotta sail your ship through the storm. You see the storm, it's turbulent, the waves are high, the sky is dark, and you're not even sure because you've never navigated that territory. You don't have a map because you've never been there. You've never experienced it. And the way I looked at it when I was going through a divorce is I was so scared of, for my kids, not me being alone, but scared on how that would work out with my kids, that a lot of times I put my ship in the storm, it got bumping, I went back to the bay. Mm. And I'll tell you, when I finally said, I can't be the man I'm supposed to be staying in this harbor, even though it's pretty and there's great people around, and it's going through that storm, going through the, the changes, the 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 navigating of new territory. You're mapping out new territory on the fly and your ship's going down and you want to turn back a hundred times. But there's this moment, and it happened to me when I went through a divorce. There was this moment where I didn't know if I could take it and I was scared for my kids and I was having anxiety attacks. But I want to share with you, there was this moment that my ship landed on the other side of the storm and it was over. And I was a different human. I was a different man. I looked through a different lens. I had a new map. And I realized I wasn't meant for that other bay. Yes, it was safe. Yes, it was okay. But listen, at the end of our lives, do we want to be okay, right? And when I got to the other side, it was this fresh start. I, I found a way to be friends with my ex. I found a way for my kids to be safe. I found a way to replace quantity with quality with my children. I found a way to be a better version of me and attract Lisa in my life. And when those roots were gone, this is what I want to share with all of you for that one area of your life that you know what I'm talking about. As you're hearing this, you're picturing it. And you're going, wow, nobody really knows that I do that when no one's watching. Nobody knows that I'd like to fix that. No one knows that I kind of BS everybody else and say I'm working on it, but I'm not. I want to tell you, when they go away, your, your sailboat turns into a, a, a ship with five engines on it. Wow. Like my life exponentially grew. I became a better dad, a better leader, a better friend. I had more compassion, had more empathy. I replaced anger with compassion and things just, I just became a different person. I mean, I think I was a good man 10 years ago, but I wouldn't recognize him. I'm not the same human today. And that allowed me to go faster. And, and I just encourage you, you've heard this before, but your next level lives on the thing, on the other side of the thing you're avoiding, the other thing you're afraid of. And Ed, I think I heard you say this, you know, all of us, we, we get to learn from each other and listen to each other. And I'll go listen to a podcast when I need a little, I'll listen to a little Ed Milet or watch it. But I remember somebody saying, it, it might have been you, may have been you. 
But what, what drives me to fix those pieces, guys, and I want you to hear this, the business that you want to scale, start, the relationship you want to fix or end, the parenting style that you, you've gone so long doing it one way, you think it's too late and you got to fight for it, it's worth the fight, whatever it is, the fight. I just want to tell you, I, I picture, I've always pictured being at the end of my life and having a conversation with God. And he said, how did it go? Yep. Right? Always picture that. And I always have the fear of going, well, you know, I was in a good relationship right? Or things were okay. You know, I was great at my business, great at impacting lives. And I did this and I was a good dad. What about your relationship? Eh, it was okay. Like I picture saying that to someone where we have this creation given to us, this opportunity. And I feel like this inner disappointment where I'd want to scream and go, you know what? Damn it. Can I do that over? And you don't get that chance. You don't get that chance. Like you don't get a do over and you'd want to. So I put those emotions of my future back on me. Things you've again already heard. And I think I heard this from you, Ed, or someone, but I heard someone put that on a whole nother level. Could you imagine if God pulled out his iPhone and said, Ed, I appreciate all you've done and you've served and you give and that one area of your life. Can I play you a quick video of the man you could have been? That's a, that's my stuff. Yeah, that is yours. I knew I heard that from you. When I heard that from you, Ed, it changed. It honestly took what I had been. I had been telling myself my last conversation with God, and when I heard that from you, I've shared that, and I feel that all the time. And if I didn't, I, I want to share this with you guys, and I hope it's relating to where you are in your life right now. If you're looking for what's going to drive you, what's going to take you to the next level, how do you move your lighthouse out? How do you wake up compelled again, not just want to chill? And how do you find that that? That, that thrive, that, that energy, that zest for life again. I just want to sh share with you that if I didn't sail my ship out of that harbor, that safe harbor, and go through, I'm, not, I'm, I'm understating what I went through. For, for, I don't take aspirin. When I was going through a divorce, worrying about my kids, I was popping Xanax three days a week because I couldn't control my anxiety. I was drinking a glass of wine five nights a week because I couldn't put myself to sleep. So I'm, I'm understating how bad I was for a short period of time. When I was in the middle of that storm, I thought of turning back because I felt so crappy about myself and worried about my kids so much. But I want to tell you on the other side, I never would have experienced what real love could be like. I, I, I have love in a way that I wish it for every single one of you. There's nothing I can even share that compares to having a true soulmate that's got your back, that supports you and loves you and you feel the same where you don't keep score and you got each other's back. I never would have experienced that if I didn't go through the storm. And whatever that storm is for you, you have to have that compelling future and you have to stay steadfast and realize if you go back to where you were, you'll get more of what you used to have. Brother, that's just absolutely riveting. And that's why I, mean, I, I knew we would do some magic stuff today or you would. I just didn't know to what extent. I didn't even know where it would go. But for a lot of you, that safe harbor is not your relationship. It's your job. It's where you're working right now and you've got this dream. And by the way, that dream you keep trying to suppress, that's going to keep rising up as well. It doesn't go away. And Never. If you wait too long, you'll get to a point where it is too late. And you're going to be watching that video of your life. It's an interesting thing. Two things occurred to me. One is that the people that I love the most, man, they have two things. I'm going to ask you a question about the second one. But one of them is, oddly, we do contemplate death more than most people. I think the contemplation of the end of your life causes you to be so present now because you know that there's a finite amount of time. It's when you don't contemplate the end that you think you have forever. Most people think everyone else are gonna, is going to die. They don't think they're going to die. Everyone else is going to die. You're going to die too. There's going to be an end to this. And by the time you're at the end of it, all the shit you worried about, 
the crap that you stressed over, the people you were concerned about what they thought, the risks you didn't take, the things you didn't pursue, the pain you weren't willing to go through, you will regret worrying about those things and not going through the pain. You will regret when you watch that video. And so contemplating that end is important. The second thing of people that I love is they have a nuance that you have big time, Dean. And that is they have a tremendous amount of humility combined with tremendous self-confidence. So people with a lot of self-confidence with no humility, we know where they're heading. They're hard to be around and eventually their confidence gets the better of them. People with a bunch of humility, but no self-confidence, don't ever get around to accomplishing a whole lot in their life because they don't have the confidence they can do it. The humility part aside, because I think most people are good. Most people are humble. More people struggle with lack of self-confidence than they do lack of humility. You have both in, in large amounts. Do you have a formula, a theory, something you would share to build self-confidence? That's such a great question. And I, I, I love hanging out with you, man. And I love, I love, I know it's different buckets, guys, but they relate to whatever area in your life, whether it's yep. relationship, your business, scaling Success your business. and happiness. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, I'll tell you a couple is I really analyzed everything that robs my confidence. It's going to sound like, ooh, Dean's, I'm glad you got Dean on the show. He's so smart. But when is the last time you analyzed the things that rob your confidence and decided to never do them again? Wow. and analyze the things that build your confidence and do more of it. If you run a company, you figure out your marketing. What's not working, do less. What's working, you do more of it. Confidence is the same way. And here's what I know. I had dyslexia in school. I wasn't good at reading. I barely got out of high school. I, never, I didn't go to a day of college. I, I just couldn't wait to get out of class because school was really difficult for me. And I remember judging myself by that scorecard. My friends are smarter. They can take algebra two. I can't even get through algebra one. I, I failed the counting. And reading a book is almost impossible for me. And I can remember looking through that lens of the things I wasn't good at. And there was a time in my life, and it's what we're taught, is to get to work on our weaknesses, to get better at what we're not good at. And I have to tell you, I took a concept, Ed, to a whole nother level. Here's what I say, just like it is. Screw what you're bad at. Stop doing it and get amazing at what you're already good at. So we all have a gift. We all have a, a unique ability. We have a core competency. And what I've known, what I've worked on, especially in the last decade of my life, is I know what I'm good at and I just want to keep getting better and be the best at it. And I know what I suck at because when you work at things that you work on things that you're not good at or overwhelm you or confuse you, there's no way your confidence gets boosted. Well, you feel inferior. So the, my confidence comes from knowing that if I'm communicating with someone, if I'm sharing, if I'm writing a book, if I want to impact someone's life, if you turn on a camera, I love to do all those things. I love to live in someone's heart and understand what they need and deliver it to them. But if you tell me how to do an Excel spreadsheet or figure out accounting or so many things that I'm horrible at, Man, that takes away my confidence. So I'm gonna tell you a quick story because it's worth this. I, we both have done high-level masterminds and I had high-level mastermind. I had this great guy, Tom, he was probably about 65, this was probably a decade ago. And he's sitting around and we're going through what are the things holding you back from your next level? And this guy was already doing really well with what we were teaching him and he was doing great with real estate and he was on his 10th property. And it gets to Tom and he says, um, you know, Dean, uh, what I need help in really is being organized. I am so sloppy. He's like, I could clean my car and it's a mess. I can clean my home office, it's in a mess. So what I'm doing tomorrow is I am going to Home Depot or Office Max and I'm getting filing cabinets, this is how long ago it was. And I'm gonna organize and put the little labels. And he got back to me, he's like, so what do you think? And I said, 
Tom, can I be honest? You're gonna be sloppy and disorganized for the rest of your life. <laughs> right. But who gives a crap? I said, Tom, you've been, I said, did your parents tell you that when you were young? He said, yeah. I said, how about your teachers? And I watched him get real serious. Ed. Like this was something he carried. He's like, my wife, my wife says it now. I, I'm just, and I said, see, you're carrying this weakness. Who cares? How about this? Tom, what if you, he was flipping houses. I said, what if you flipped one extra house a year? and you hired someone to make you the most organized human on the planet. Now this is a much longer conversation. He got tears in his eyes because he let go of something he had been holding on to his whole life that kept him smaller. I watched his chest come up, his shoulders went back. And he said, I said, have someone come in your house, have someone organize your bills and do get great at what you're already good at, one more property. And I, and I think, I know that's a silly analogy, but I wanna tell you right now, identify what you're good at and go all in on it. And eventually, if you're not already doing, pay somebody to do the things you suck at. And that's how we get good, right? One more quick story. Um, Ned Hollowell is an ADD specialist. Oprah called him the top ADD specialist in the world. He's been on Oprah 10 times. Harvard trained, Harvard professor. He said, kids with ADD, I want you to hear this. He said, he is the f getting them off uh, meds and getting them out of ADD. He said, and he used this analogy. He said, take Johnny. He's in the classroom. His teacher says, read this book. He can't read the book. Read this book. Stay in that seat until you read the book. Finally, Johnny gets up and running around. He doesn't just have ADD, now he's got ADHD, he's hyper. He said the only reason Johnny feels that way is because he doesn't have the confidence to read. He feels inferior and he's acting out in other ways. He goes, you know how I help Johnny? I get with his teachers, his friends, and his family. And I say, what's Johnny good at? Oh, Johnny's good at math, or Johnny's good at architect, or he's good at baseball. Let's, let, let's help Johnny get one step up in baseball, one step up in math. Let's let Johnny get so good at math that his confidence starts to build. And fast forward six months, Johnny will be reading that book on his own. You won't have to tell him to do it. Because all Johnny did because of his ADD is everybody robbed his confidence. Let's give him his confidence back, we'll give him his life back. I get goosebumps talking about it. Yeah, so I, I want you to think about, what are, you, what are you working on in your life right now that's robbing your confidence? What are you, listen, I'll give you three more quick ones. What are you working on that robs your confidence? Freaking stop, do it, go deeper and spend the time on something you're already good at and fine tune that craft. Number two, what are you watching or doing that robs your confidence? When's the last time you watched the news and felt really good about your life? Go on a freaking news diet. Try to stay away from the friends for a little while that when you talk to them they tell you you should be happy, satisfied, stop being a dreamer. Anything in my life that robs my confidence, Ed, I slowly wean out, I just do. Right? I'm with you, Ed. If I spend two hours with you, we're sitting around a, a dinner table having a glass of wine, I leave, I feel like Superman. Yep. There's other people that when they call you, you look at your phone, you go, oh, should I answer this? Uh, <laughs> like, those people need to go. So just audit what robs your confidence, audit what builds your confidence, and do more of the stuff that builds your confidence. I was just sitting here thinking, man, like, it is so cool that for just clicking a button right now, I'm not bragging about the show because it's you doing it, but like, for no, for no money right now, people are getting this type of insight and information from multi-multi-millionaires, right? It's just so awesome the way the world has changed. When you and I were young, there was, you could buy Tony's tapes. That was about yeah, it. Yeah, that's about no. it. And get a, a Sony Walkman with big yes. orange earbuds and listen to it. Yeah. It's incredible. And now the depth of delivery of information from someone like Dean is just, it's just remarkable. It's so good. One of the things that you are great at to me is influence. I, I just think, and you do it in such a way, man, where like, 
I, it doesn't hurt receiving it. And one of the things that I want to talk, I want you to give me, give everybody a little bit insight of how they can be more influential and then okay. with it, because it's one of the things you do the best. Dean is not afraid. And he's worked with me on this actually. And about everybody else in this space, Dean's not afraid to ask for what he wants uh, from a consumer, from a friend. And I think there's a lot of people out there that want to start a business or have a business, but they're afraid to ask for the sale. They're afraid to ask for the order. They're afraid to ask someone for their support. They're afraid to ask for some advice or coaching. You have developed, even you've, let's just be candid. Like even me and Tony Robbins both have struggled with this. And you're like, guys, I'll help you with this. Right? So Either the, some of the people that are most influential in the world, they're influential, but they're not always as comfortable with the ask. So what's influence? How can someone become more influential and touch on your belief system about why it's mandatory to ask for what you want and need, especially in the business world? Oh, great question, man. So first off, the first thing that's a must, everybody looks for a sales strategy. I'll tell you the number one sales strategy in the entire world absolutely love what you deliver to people that you feel bad if they don't use it. Now you've heard that before, but I really want you to think about that. Love it so much that you feel bad if they don't use it. I mean, think about Ed, what you've done for the world. You know how many people you have done a disservice to if you didn't decide to share what you know. Think about Tony Robbins, right? Tony's impacted my life, impacted your life, and so many of you listening right now. What if he didn't sell and get people to UPW, Date with, Disney, Date with Destiny, Business Mastery, and those types of, pro, you know, Platinum, all those pieces. So the first thing I do is, especially in the last decade, is I love what I deliver. I'll obsess on my books. If I get done with a book and I love it, the next thing I think about is I'm, I want you to hear this, I'm screwing people over if I don't get them to read my book. Not do I feel bad selling it to them, I'm actually hurting them if I don't get them to give me a credit card because I can't get them to read my book. They're gonna go try to figure it out on their own. There's only two things can happen. They either try to figure it out on their own, they fail and give up, or they buy someone else's book who's better at sales but doesn't have as good a book as me and it doesn't do anything for them. So if I'm not getting them to give me the money, they're either gonna do nothing or give someone else the money and that's not acceptable for me, right? So the foundation of good sales, I believe, and persuasion and influence is knowing that you're really impacting people with what you have. So I'm gonna tell you right now, if you love what you do, take it up another notch and be obsessed with what you do. Be obsessed with the book, the product, the service, the company, the, whatever it is you do. Because then it's easy. Because then it's all a conversation of, am I helping people or not? The other thing I know too, is in many cases, and you gotta hear this, and I'm not the first one to say it, but hear it for the first time, people who don't pay, in many cases, don't pay attention. Think about if you pay zero for a live event and you just click on it and say, I'm going to go to a live event. Say Ed was doing a live event for free. You click on it and say, I love Ed Milad. He's always doing something for us. Let's go. You got about a 35% chance you'd show up. That's just a fact. I know these numbers because it's free. Ed's awesome, but if I'm available, but you know, I was going to go with my buddy's mountain biking. I'm not sure. Spend a hundred bucks to go see Ed. About 60% of you will show up. Give Ed 50 grand to show up and he's worth every dime, 100% of you would show up. The more you pay, the more you pay attention. So are you doing them a disservice by charging them or are you actually serving them at the highest level? Let me ask you something. If you wanna start a business or scale your business, you can go get free information. You could try to learn on your own. But what if Ed said, you're in a higher level bracket, let's say. Ed said, a million bucks, I'll mentor you once a week for the next six months. 
if Ed did, think about a million dollars in a higher level business. Think how fast you could go, how Ed would be doing a disservice if not, how much it would actually cost you and opportunity cost too because you have the opportunity of giving up before you start. That would be the cheapest money you'd ever spend in your life, right? So I, I don't know if I, I nailed that, but I, I really want you to know that absolutely I absolutely nailed it. Here's how I know you nailed it. It made an impact on me. Number one, first off, your data about the stats are true. My people that pay me the most money to get an hour with me, are the ones who are, show up early even, right? They not only they show up, they show up early. Um, some of the most influential people on the planet pay me a lot of money. And let me tell you something, they don't miss calls. They don't reschedule calls. They That's the priority. I got to say this to you. My podcast is free. That means one week you'll listen to it, the next week you'll catch up on too. That's just the way it's true. But what you just said there is brilliant and that even I needed to hear. I am, what if you had a business, everybody, whatever your product is, what if you really believed I am screwing people if they don't get this product for me. I am screwing them if they don't do business. Those of you that run sales teams or run a company of any type, you run a chain of dry cleaners. I don't care what it is. We are screwing people if they don't get their clothes cleaned here. We are screwing people if they don't do their mortgage business. We are screwing them if they don't come to our gym. We are screwing them if they don't get involved in my opportunity. What if everyone that was pouring out of their pores all day long, what would your organization look like? How would it function? What fears would go away? What certainty would people have when they communicate? Because the most certain person always influences the less certain person when there's rapport. That is, you didn't just nail that. That's like groundbreaking. So I want to share something, Ed. When you feel that way, I want to share this with everyone. Everybody who wants the sales strategy, you should have them. If you want to get sales trainings for your team, you should have them. But when you believe it so intently and there's concept, there's social proof that says what we give people, it's the best dry cleaning, it's the best food, it's the best product, it's the best book, it's the best coaching program. When you believe it and there's social proof, your entire team believes it. They're not selling anymore. Selling, this is what you should write down, selling becomes service. When selling becomes service, you will never sell again a day in your life. And you will look through a lens where your sales and your marketing department will get the attention it deserves. The reason my, I'm blessed to do more revenue than a lot of people who do things similar to me is because I'm obsessed with sales and marketing. But the foundation of that is I don't get to serve people unless they say yes. I, I gotta tell you a quick story. Yeah. So I was on stage with about 4,000 businesswomen amazing women, all entrepreneurs or wanting to be entrepreneurs. These women were lighting it up. And I asked that same question, who in here is a, f who has some apprehension, a little scared or downright hate selling? 90% of these women, these awesome women raise their hand and they all are there to scale their business. And simultaneously, unless they learn to love sales, their business will never scale. Gosh. That's Sales are the oxygen for every thriving company. Unless you want to be someone who just goes, raise money, raise money. I don't know how to do that. That's a different world. Somebody smarter than me does that. I've always built cash flow companies, right? So all these women raise their hand. I pick on a woman, Ed, maybe two rows in. She had this sweet smile. I said, so tell me about your business. She says, okay, I have a coaching business. She goes, I help moms. She called it trimester four. I had no idea after you have a, have, have a baby, this fourth trimester messes with your emotions, your head, you don't think your husband looks at you in a good way, you feel like you're a mom, you lost your own life, your body doesn't look the same, and it is painstaking. I went through it, I don't want women to experience that pain, and I coach them through it, and I make them beautiful and alive and sexy, and they see their worth again. She was glowing, Ed, talking about her coaching business. And I said, so she's like this, and I said, you don't like selling, and she's strong. She goes, no. 
you know, I, I hate asking these moms for money. And, 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 and I said to her, so I let her talk and I said, so you really don't care and you're screwing these poor women over. And she's like, well, what do you mean? No, no, don't say that. No, I love them. I said, all right, tell me about someone you changed. She told me a story about this woman, Mary, and she changed her life and she was happy again. I talk about sales. So I said, listen, and, and I'm paraphrasing here, but I said, listen, is your service good? Yes, the best. Do you care? Oh my God, I love these women. Does it get them results? It will change their life. I said, then t stop screwing them over. I said, because right now, there are women out there who need you. They're thinking, they're depressed. They're thinking of maybe suicide. They're thinking of leaving their husband. And the only reason you can't help them is because you're afraid to market and sell to attract them to say yes. And the only two things that can happen to that woman that you're afraid to market to is they suffer in silence or they go to someone else who doesn't care as much as you. It's time to market so you can get them to say yes so you can transform their life. The, the women in this group, uh, it was a half hour, I'm paraphrasing it in three minutes, they erupted, Ed. When your mind shifts to service and you realize you can't impact it, then you figure out all the sales strategies. But if you're not figuring out next several sales strategies, deep down you might not like sales. Change your feeling about sales, change your business. I think you lifted about 5,000 pianos off of every single person's back because it's the, it takes this pressure off of you also. When you are unleashed like this, actually having to say the perfect word at the perfect time isn't always going to feel mandatory to you either because your certainty is influencing to that extent. Man, I'm so grateful for you. I got two things left because we're going to run out of time. We Literally, brother, we've almost been an hour. We, we could go forever, you and I. But I have to ask you a couple of things because it's just curious about your opinion about this because I've been navigating it. A lot of entrepreneurs listen to this or they want to be entrepreneurs. And there's this new thing out there, not new, but it's there's this adage that, hey, millionaires have multiple streams of income, right? And sometimes I think myself that that's a fact that's not true. Although it's true that most millionaires have multiple streams of income my experience is that most of those millionaires got great at one thing first. And then as they became millionaires, diversified their income streams to multiple streams. Why I ask this is, and I would really like your opinion about it. I see a lot of people doing five, six, seven things, three, four different things, trying to spin all these plates, but not really getting great at any of them. And I almost think to some extent that they would be better off if they got great at something same time, I understand the world today is a different world than it was 20 years ago. And I really don't know your opinion about this. And I'm curious as to how you feel about it. Should someone get great at what they're doing? You spent, spoke about greatness earlier. Or are you a believer they should have four, five, six different things going at any given time? I think the biggest disservice you could do to a new entrepreneur is tell them that they should have multiple streams of income because they'll never go deep enough on one thing, never go through enough pain and enough failure on the one thing that'll go deep enough to give them the breakthroughs to be able to do that later on in life. It's an absolute fact. And here's something before I get there, I, I wanna say something. I love the fact of what this device has done for us, that oh, you could log in and God. listen to Ed right now. I died, I listened to Tony Robbins tapes when I, in 1990, I don't know, 96, 95, I listened to Tony Robbins tapes and when I got done, I ordered his power talk and I'd wait for them to come every month and there, I, was, I was searching for you to be able to have access in a second to Ed and Andy Frisella and Tony and, and, and so many great people out there, I love that part. But the other part where I think it's done a disservice to a whole generation 
is you think success is easy when it's brutally freaking hard. It is hard to have the success you want. It's hard to have a jet and freedom and extra houses. And it takes hard work and it takes time. And it's, there's no shortcut. I don't care what anybody thinks. There's no shortcut. Maybe you could have bought Dogecoin and you got lucky. That is the rarest thing in the history of the world. Ed and I, I would bet we agree. I don't even know. Neither one of us probably invested in crypto when all of our friends said to because we didn't know it. We didn't feel it and we missed it. So I'm so blessed if you did for you. But that's not where true wealth is made. You have to work 50% harder than you think you do. You have to get kicked in the teeth more than you think. You have to get questioned by your friends and family and look like the dreamer twice as much as you think. The people you thought were going to support you aren't. Some people are going to talk behind your back. Some friends are going to leave you. And guess what? It's worth every freaking penny. It's worth every moment, every disappointment. There was a, a gentleman named David Keckage. I met him. He was paralyzed from the neck down and not always paralyzed, I think it was a jogging car accident, and, I, and he had these Kekage credos, it was like a business card that folded out, and one of his Kekage credos, to make him positive, most positive guy you ever met, couldn't move anything below his neck, was, one of them was, living the hard way is easy, and living the easy way is hard. So before I answer this about multiple streams of income, I think it's really important I tell you this, living the hard way makes it easy. It was hard when my friends were partying every single, I still had fun, don't get me wrong, but when I was getting up at five o'clock going to work every day, my friends were like, oh, you're crazy. We come from a small town, it's blue collar. Just, I grew in a similar town as you did. All my friends were gonna be mechanics or construction workers, and if they're lucky, they worked for IBM, right? And when they told me that I was crazy for doing it, when I worked seven days a week, when I borrowed money, when I used to take credit cards and apply for 10 at once so I could get the money and use that money and leverage it and go buy a junky piece of property and fix it up every night. I'd work on cars during the day. I'd drive a tow truck at night and I'd work on my houses at night. I'd put 20 hours a day. Everybody, my sister, my family, my friends thought I was insane. I was nuts. I was a dreamer. People without educations, without money, they don't really get there. What were my chances? If you looked at the percentages, you wouldn't bet on me if you were in Vegas, but I knew I took the hard path, didn't know I was, but I took the hard way, but now I get to be the dad I want. I take my kids to school every day. I coach little league. I coach softball. I can jump on a plane and go to New York and go to my farm in New York and spend time. It looks beautiful now, but I put the work in. None of it was handed to me. Now I'm not saying me, but it's easy to sit on the couch, order pizza and binge out on Netflix. That's easy. It's hard when you're 60 and you got diabetes and you can't play with your kids. It's easy in today's world to go hit up the girl you used to hang out in high school and be unfaithful and nobody will ever find out. It's easy to do now. It's really hard when you're the fan and you're alone when you're 70 years old. I know that might sound harsh, but I think through all of this. So first off, I want to tell you, live the hard way now. Make the smart decisions now so you can live easy and have choices that you want. You know how many baby boomers I meet that took a job that seemed easy and, and a nice 401k and they're 62 years old going, I just wasted 40 years of my life building someone else's dream and I have my own. Help me, Dean. And I want to help them, but they didn't take the hard way. So take the hard way, work hard on your thing. Secondly, multiple streams of income are absolutely amazing once you crack the code, once you have something steady from one thing. I'll give you Tony Robbins, for example. Number one personal development guy, No one. I don't think anybody will ever reach his height of success. I don't think anybody will leave the legacy that that man's gonna lead. Do you know he was 48 years old before he invested in another company? And it's because when he was younger, he used to hang out with billionaires. He coached a lot of these guys when he was in his 20s. And he was on a jet with really successful people. And they're talking about all these different businesses they have, but they were in their 60s. He was in his 
early 30s. And he's like, man, I'm working my tail off on one business. These guys are flipping companies and making billions. And a guy said, all one of the guys on the plane, I think it was the second richest man in Canada, said to him, all in your own time, man. Go deep on your company. When your company is paying, then you could take the money from that company and there'll be a time in your life where you can start investing in other companies. But don't do that until you go deep, till you know it, till it becomes bulletproof. It was almost, Tony was almost 50, Ed, before he started investing in other companies. Now he has multiple streams of income, but he went deep and mastered what he'd done. And here's the last thing I'll tell you. When you master something, doesn't mean you have to stick with it forever, right? I mastered real estate. I got really deep, but all those principles I learned in mastering real estate, in hiring people, and running businesses, and I took that and I, they lent great for my next companies. Yeah. I 1,000% uh, agree, and that's exactly what I did. I built one thing for a very long time. Then I diversified into all these other businesses. This is one of the best conversations I've ever had. I mean, oh, just doing you straight up. It's because it's so wide ranging. It's ex well, we started the show. And I told you I'm not going to tell you what we're going to talk about. And I said we were going to, and it's we just you just crushed this. I got one last question for me. The audience gets to listen because we're friends. <laughs> so this one's just for me, um, but everyone can hear it. This is a hard one. So I, this is one of those like really tough ones because I, I I've asked myself this recently. What did you used to believe pretty passionately about life or business that you no longer believe? In other words, my favorite people are people who change their minds. I love when some people who never change their mind. I think really all the new information, all the experience you've got, all the wisdom, all the successes and what you think are failures or setbacks in your life. You've changed your mind about nothing that matters, nothing at all in your life has changed. So it's a really hard question. And I don't know if anything even occurs to you, but is there something you used to really believe? Like for me, it was, it was, uh, I used to really believe that most rich people got there through some ill-gotten means. I just, I don't know why. I just sort of believe they must have Because you're part Italian and you grew up on the East Coast. That's what everybody <laughs> believes. We all believed it, right? <laughs> and, and by the way, that belief system caused me to not want to be one of these people subconsciously, unconsciously for many, many years. I think it was one of the things that held me back. And then I also thought for a while, well, then it flipped and I kind of had this epiphany. I went, but then if I have a ton of money, I'll have no problems. Well, that turns out that's not true either, right? There's there's issues. But so I've, I've altered my belief systems about many different things in my life. I'm just curious if there's one of yours that you used to believe you just knew you were right. And now you look at it totally differently. I think I believed. So I, I might have two answers for that, but I'll okay. go quick on them. Oh, one is I used to think from where I came from. Right. It doesn't mean and I'm not saying mine's different than yours or worse than yours. Just my experience of a blue collar family. Dad worked in a collision shop, made twenty five thousand dollars a year and sucked paint fumes every day of his life. My, my mom cut hair and cleaned houses for a living. Right. So coming from where I came from, I thought I could be more successful than them. But I thought there would always be a cap because I didn't go to Harvard or I didn't have a good college education because I wear T-shirts every day because I don't have a vast vocabulary because I, I don't act like. I, I thought there was a limit. And what I realize is it's all the same. The way you might worry about a thousand bucks or 10 grand or a hundred grand or a million, 10 or a hundred million, the secret, it all feels the same. It's all relevant at the time of life you're in. The deal when you're trying to get your first real estate deal to make a grand compared to the deal where you can make 20, it's the same emotion, the same feeling. And what I realize now is I have the belief 
it's my decision. I can make a limitless amount of money. And if I want to give it all away, I will. But there is no, I, I really want you to hear this. I thought forever there was this cap and then only this elite group get to go all the way. If I wanted to go to a billion, and if I set that as a goal, I could be there. To re- like, that is my belief now, and that wasn't always my belief, and that's really been compounded over the last five years. That's probably, uh, that's probably it. I, uh, I love you. I just enjoy uh, it so much, man. I just enjoy it. I think you're such a good man. You, you, uh, I'm really grateful we're friends. Well, I feel the same way, Ed, and I appreciate, you know, we don't get the chance to see each other. We're all busy, but we, even our little text messages that we do maybe once a week, they just put a smile on my face. And, 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 and one last thing I want to share with everyone is the other thing that, and this, I'll, I'll end this here because I know we've been a little longer than we thought we were going to go here, but social media, again, is such a blessing in so many ways, but it also can, when you see somebody doing well, there's two emotions that can happen. One is, damn it, I'll never be Ed. I'll never get there. I just want to get my first deal. Or you can look at it and say, wow, if Ed can do it, I can do it. I'm going to encourage you to have that filter on all the time that don't look through the lens of envy or jealousy because it will cripple you even if it's just a little bit. When you see somebody getting ahead, the first thing I want you to think about is that man or that woman put the time in. They failed miserably. They had family question them. They probably lost all their money once or twice. They probably had sleepless nights. They may have had an ulcer. They may do things. Listen, there are still things I stress about and worry about that nobody will know. I still work on trying to sleep through the night because I worry about so many things and have so much on my mind. We all have stuff going on behind the scenes that no one knows so when you see somebody successful say man I can imagine what they went through to get it and I'm proud of them and I'm so happy for them and I'm telling you God the universe with karma whatever you believe in will reward you when you're doing that even though no one's watching good brother and speaking of uh jeez just Speaking of uh, social media, you begin to get involved with Dean if you're not by following him there. You can get involved with his programs, his, his coaching, all the different things Dean does. He's one of the great speakers on stage you'll ever see in your life. His books are incredible. You all got a flavor for that today. Most of you heard Dean on my show previously, but for a lot of you, this is an introduction through my show um, to Dean. And so please go follow him on social on YouTube. We'll put his uh, handles up on the screen there. And brother, I just want to say thank you. And uh, give little Luca a hug from me and tell Lisa that we send our love. And thank you for being here today, bro. I appreciate you, Ed. Take care, man. Max out, everybody. Share the show. God bless you. This is The Ed Milet Show.